How y'all doing? Good? Good morning. So glad to be with you. How sweet was worship? I loved it. It was so wonderful. As we continue our morning, uh, we're going to pray for our offering this morning. That is an extension of our worship as we would give unto the Lord cheerfully for the work of his kingdom. So let me pray over our offering. Uh, we have an offering box on the back pillar here of the sanctuary as well in the cafe area. And you can give online uh, however the Lord leads you. And so let me pray for our offering and then we've got some announcements. So Lord Jesus, thank you for that wonderful time of worship. Lord, Holy Spirit, you came because we asked you to come. And when we ask of a good and a heavenly father to give his Holy Spirit, you give. And Lord, you are a giving God. You always give. And we can never outgive you, Lord. And so, God, just as a reflection of who you are, Lord, if we're called to be like you and to live in you, Lord, I pray, God, that as the saints of God would give unto the work of your kingdom, Lord, that you would bless that, you would expand that, it would allow us to do the things that we're doing as a church, um, both now and into the future, Lord. So we thank you. Um, bless your church today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, well, we were very blessed to have Nick leading us in worship, right? Nick, come here. Come on, bring it up. So Nick has been with us over the summer. He, um, he kind of cold emailed me and he was here for a young adults gathering and just was um, really moved by how God was working in this church at the beginning. And he decided, hey, I'm gonna move across the United States from the East Coast and uh, land here and intern over the summer. He did it uh, completely free of charge, uh, just as a servant of the Lord. And um, he's been kind of in between decisions of whether to move back east to go back home or to stay here and to continue to serve this church. And guess what he decided? He's staying. Yes. Yeah, brother. How does that feel to know that we love you so much? So that's good. So um, do you want to share just briefly? Or are you good? You're on the spot. Okay. He's more of a worship guy, you know, so. Um, but we're going to have our pastors come up, lay hands on him, and pray over him because we are thrilled that he's staying here. And, and he's going to be a part-time worship leader here at our church. He's going to serve in the youth and the young adults and on Sunday mornings as well as with some media stuff. And so we're just really thankful to have him. So we're going to lay hands on him and pray over him. Ben, Kai, you want to pray? Amen, Lord God. Father, we just uh, thank you for the blessing that is Nick. Father, we thank you for his heart and his desire to serve you. Uh, Father, we, uh, as we pray over him, Lord God, we're going we're gonna to call this a surrendering. We're just going to pray that he takes the gifts that you have given him and just surrender them to you for your service, Lord God. Uh, on behalf of this body, Father, that he would be using all that is in him to lift up your name high, to lift the name of Jesus with the promise, Lord God. Uh, you said that when we lift you up, you will call all men unto yourself. And that's what we want to see. Uh, we want to see a body that is drawn to you, Lord God. Uh, and Father, as he leads us in worship, may we uh, be inspired by his heart. And may we just come and fall before you, Father, to surrender ourselves as well uh, to your kingdom, to your goodness, to your love, and to your grace. We thank you for him. We pray your blessings over him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We love you, Nick. All right, well, hold on, guys. You stay up here. Nick, you can go down because we got to bring up Sam and Ryan. Come on. Because 
God continues to raise up more and more leaders in this church. Um, this is a thrill to me to be able to lay hands upon young leaders like Nick. And this is Sam and Ryan Reeves. And they, yes. And uh, they have been faithfully serving in our youth ministry now for a season. And um, I've been the youth pastor uh, as well here in the church. And uh, just as God continues to grow the church, um, I, uh, I'm pulling back a little bit from youth ministry. And so I'm going to be at youth group every other week. And so the weeks that I'm not there, these are now our co-youth ministers right here. Our, our, they're going to be... Uh, taking the helm so uh sam and ryan are just a wonderful godly couple and uh any youth here how much do you love these guys Amen. yeah they're good so anything you guys want to say or should we just pray over you ryan come on um yeah we are super excited and we we could definitely use your prayers um just for the youth and just that we could um just serve them really well and we're really honored to do this for Daniel because he's wearing so many hats, doing so many things, and I feel like this is the least we could do. Um, so we're really excited, and um, yeah, please be praying for us. Thanks for trusting us with your kids. We love them. Excellent. Well, let's lay hands on them and pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for Sam and Ryan. God, thank you that the moment you put them upon my heart, Lord, to co-lead this youth ministry, uh, just my heart just lifted up inside in my chest, and I was like, yes, and amen to this couple. They are so gifted, they are called, and they are surrendered to be used by you however you would see fit, Lord. And thank you just for the way that they have demonstrated their character and their gifting and just their abundance of love for the youth in our church. I pray your spirit upon them, Lord, to make them effective ministers of your gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Love you guys. Okay. All right. And then I'm just going to briefly uh, go through some announcements and then Pastor Rob is preaching this morning. So, um, yes, it's going to be good. So we are in our third week of the vision series. So we've already seen so far that we are to know Jesus. And the primary way we do that is through teaching and preaching and to be known by Jesus, and we do that through worship and prayer. So far, you heard from me the first week, and then our uh, Pastor Ben Kai and also Pastor Ben. So you're getting an opportunity to hear from all of our pastors during this series, and so Rob's preaching this morning on something that's so close to his heart, which is community and discipleship. And so we're, we're now going on the horizontal level of what it looks like to love people. And so get ready to hear about how we're called as a church to do that. Um, so that's the series we're in. Next week, we end the series with Making Jesus Known. I'll be back in the pulpit preaching on evangelism and missions, and then we're having a party. We're doing some tacos, some bounce houses. It's going to be a great celebration for our one year as a church. So make sure you come next Sunday and invite some friends. It's a great opportunity to invite some people to join you that Sunday. So um, that's what's happening right now. Um, we also have... Uh, a new series that'll be starting after this vision series. You guys want to know what it is? Okay. We're going to be studying the book of 1 John. Okay. And we're really looking forward to it. So we've been praying for some time, and this is the way we see the Lord directing us. So that's all. You ready, Rob? Come on, bring us the word. Let me pray over Rob, and then uh, we'll get ready to 
hear this wonderful teaching. All right, Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the life and the energy that's in your church today. God, thank you that you're continuing to build um, and establish this place, Lord, with new leadership rising up. Um, and God, I thank you for my brother Rob here. He's such a um, he's such an anchor in this church. Uh, so much wisdom, so much understanding of your scripture, and, and such a heart and care for this body. He loves these people. So God, I pray you would anoint him today. Would you um, empower him by your spirit, Lord, to preach your word today in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Thanks, brother. Wow, well, welcome. I'm on, right? Nope, turned it on. On now? Okay, welcome everybody. And I, I see some friends from a church down the street here as well. So welcome to all of you. Uh, and I don't know about you guys, but my heart is soaring from that music and that last song and from, you know, just getting to lay hands and some new leaders. It's an exciting time to be a part of God's church here at Calvary Chapel, Palos Verdes. And I'm really excited to get to share this um, third week with you of the vision series, which, as Daniel said, is the value of being known by one another. Week one was about knowing Jesus. Week two was about Jesus knowing us. And so now we're going to cover what it means to be a person who knows Jesus and is known by him to then live in a community with other people who also know him and are also known by him. And as we're going to see, the value of being known by one another is enhanced by two things, fellowship or community, and then by discipleship. And both of those are passions of mine, as Daniel shared, especially since I've seen God use them so mightily in my own life that I have had a passion for years now to share them with others. You see, I got saved way back a long time ago in 1985, but for my first five to six years as a Christian, I was, I was pretty miserable. I mean, I knew I was going to heaven, but I had just too much of the world still in me to feel very comfortable around the church, and I had enough of the church in me to not feel very comfortable around the world anymore. And so I was kind of in a no-man's land, with one foot in the world, the other foot in the church. But you know what changed it all? Making friends with other Christians and spending time with them and getting discipled by someone who could teach me from God's word who I was in Christ and how God wanted me to live as this new creation that he had made me. And so the explanation of our vision here at CCPV that you can find on our website of what it means to be known by one another really fits me to a T. And we should have it up on the screen, uh, hopefully, for you, if we could, uh, to be known by one another. And then the expanded version of it, which we might also have, says that Jesus, we got it? Nope, all right. Jesus made his church to be a diverse community of followers committed to loving one another. Through mutual love, support, and encouragement, we become alive as we become known. And that is what happened to me. I really became alive as a Christian. And we want that same experience for everyone else here who calls this church their home. So here's what we're going to do. In that expanded vision statement I just read you, we have the word community uh, in there. And we're going to dig into some scriptures to look and see what that means from God's perspective. Because a Christian community is made up of believers who have fellowship with one another. And so we need to see what the Bible has to say about all of that. 
And also in that expanded statement of our vision, we had the word follower up there. And we're going to do the same thing with that word, because being a follower of Jesus Christ is what it means to be a Christian, and it is what we learn to do through discipleship, the second thing we're going to talk about. And both of these values, fellowship and discipleship, are seen in the book of the Bible that we just completed here in our first year, the Gospel of Mark. So we're going to start off with a couple of verses out of Mark, this sort of our launching pad to build off of as we go through this this morning. And then we're going to look at some other parts of Scripture that really put more meat on the bones of what these two things, uh, fellowship and discipleship, look like in real, genuine, authentic Christian community. Now, our first one, which gives us the foundation for fellowship, is Mark 3.14, which Daniel preached on months and months ago, which says this, And he appointed the twelve, whom he had also named as apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach. Notice in that verse the first reason that Mark gives us for why Jesus chose his disciples. It was so that they might be with him. Brothers and sisters, that is the beginning of fellowship. Yes, the Son of God wanted fellowship with his disciples. If he, as God in human flesh, wanted discipleship, excuse me, wanted fellowship in his own life, how much more so do we need it in ours? Jesus is our rock, but he didn't come here to live as an island all by himself. He wanted and he saw his own human need for companionship and to have some people walk through life with him, to have people to share a meal with, to have people to talk with. Now, God said this initially about Adam and his need for Eve, but it's true for all of us, irrespective of even marriage. It is not good for man to be alone. It is not good for man to be alone. Now, our second verse out of Mark that we're going to build off of, which gives us the foundation for discipleship is also in Mark, and that's Mark 1.17, which says this, And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. So let's talk first about fellowship inside an authentic Christian community. First and foremost, it starts with fellowship with Jesus. Don't miss that from the Mark 3.14 passage. Jesus wanted fellowship with his disciples. You know, we so often focus just on our need for fellowship with him, but the truth is that he wants fellowship with us as much, if not more, than we know that we need it with him. That thought ought to blow us away, that this perfect, holy, loving, kind son of God would actually want to spend time with imperfect, sinful, and horribly flawed beings such as us. So how do we do that now that he is in heaven, seated at the right hand of God the Father? Well, he gives us some instruction in John 15, the first 11 verses, where he talks about abiding in him, which literally means to dwell in him, or in the Greek, to literally, it meant to pitch your tent in him. Like a branch, he says there, is connected to a vine, which is 24-7, by the way. He says that we are to be connected to him. And he tells us we can do that by abiding in his word and by abiding in his love. Another aspect of being connected with him is by prayer. You know, through the Apostle Paul, Jesus told us to pray without ceasing and to pray day and night. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean 
that we do that with our head bowed off in a corner somewhere because life has to go on. We've got to work, we've got to eat, we've got to do all kinds of things throughout the day. So what is God talking about there? What God wants us to have is a constant state of communion with him through prayer, a constant state of God-connectedness. The Puritans had this thing they did called practicing the presence of Christ, which was designed to, to inculcate in themselves that thought that everywhere they went throughout the day, Jesus was there with them, and they could talk to him and listen to him and be encouraged by him. And that's what it means to pray without ceasing and to pray night and day, to be connected to God throughout the day. You know, there's a story out of a book called My Heart, Christ's Home that we may still have out in our library out there, which, by the way, if you don't know, we have some bookshelves out there with all kinds of great books that we've custom selected, and they're free. So you can take them anytime you want, read them, pass them on to someone else, but please avail yourselves of those. But one of the books out there is called My Heart, Christ's Home. And it was written uh, in 1947 by a pastor at a Presbyterian church in Berkeley, and, and yes, the gospel was in Berkeley at one point in time. That's pretty amazing to contemplate, isn't it? And, uh, and the sermon is about um, uh, likening Christianity to, to Jesus living in, in the house with you, and it starts with you inviting him in the front door. That's when you get saved. But as he comes into your home, um, at first you kind of keep him in this little area in the living room where it's all dressed up and fancy and the plastic stuff on the carpet and all this, but over time he keeps saying, you know, I'd kind of like to see what you're doing in the kitchen. I'd kind of like to see what you're doing in the family room or, or the bedroom or the garage. And over time, you let him into all these other rooms. And, and you find out that every time he goes into a room, he cleans it up and he makes it much better than it ever was before. And it pictures giving over more and more areas of our life to Christ until at the end of the book, the man signs the title deed to his home over to Jesus, which is what it really means to be fully surrendered, that phrase that uh, Benkai used a few moments ago. But in the middle of all this, the man develops a daily habit of, uh, of sitting on the couch to pray with Jesus before he would go off to work. And I've had this book read in men's Bible studies before where grown men are crying when they get to this scene. But the scene is the guy's in a rush to get to work and he, he, he doesn't stop to talk to Jesus on the couch in the morning, which pictures that prayer time with Christ. And, and the scene describes him running past the couch out the door because he's in such a hurry. And then looking back over his shoulder, and seeing this dejected look of Jesus, like, you know, what, you don't, you, want to, you don't want to talk to me this morning? And see, that picture's what we're talking about here. Jesus wants fellowship with us, wants us to pray to him as much, if not more, than we know that we need to do it um, with him. Now, although fellowship in authentic Christian community starts with Jesus, it doesn't end there. God wants us to move on to fellowship with others who are also in fellowship with Jesus. You know, Jesus didn't choose only one disciple, did he? He chose 12. And then what did he tell them to do? He told them to then go fishing for more. And that includes a very diverse group of people. Think about those early disciples. Just think of how different the original disciples were from each other. Some were fishermen. Some were even terrorists against the Roman occupation. One was a tax collector. And then by the time we get to the book of Acts, that group had expanded to include a doctor, Luke who wrote the gospel that bears that name in the book of Acts, a Pharisee and a former Christian persecutor named Paul, a high-ranking African from his queen's entourage, the Ethiopian eunuch, and then Roman soldiers and jailers. And this meant, as Ephesians tells us, that it went on to include not only Jews, but Gentiles as well. 
And that is so amazing because the level of hatred and prejudice between Jews and Gentiles was among the worst that's ever been seen in the face of this earth. So multicultural fellowship begins to happen as people of all cultures realize that they are all sinners in need of a savior and have accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior and then found their identity in him. And praise God, look around you. Look around you this morning. That is who we are here at Calvary Chapel Palos Verdes. Our community is very diverse around us and so our church should be as well and should reflect that because God is no respecter of persons or of particular races. He doesn't play favorites. And you know what? Heaven is going to be exactly the same way. For Revelation 7 tells us that around the throne room of God, worshiping him in heaven, are people of all tribes, tongues, and nations. So you know what? We better get used to that here, right now, on earth. Now, in addition to an authentic Christian community being multicultural, the Bible also portrays it as being multi-generational, for it speaks of the older teaching the younger, and the younger taking care of the older. And Jesus went out of his way to teach that children were always special and always welcome. And so that, too, is part of what we have as our, as our vision here for authentic Christian community at CCPV. And we see that developing in our ministries. We've got our burgeoning children's ministries where lots of people from older generations are pouring into the lives of little ones. We see it with young men like like Micah and Monty and Matt and Eric, who, who show up with older guys like me and Tom down here and Bill, who I saw somewhere this morning, for men's group every Wednesday afternoon, whereas Bonnie, Bill's wife, so often reaches out to younger women to share life with them. And frankly, it's even modeled in the pastoral team, the, the, the four of us that you saw up here. Between Daniel at one end and me at the other, I'm actually twice his age, <laughs> but he's got twice my energy and wisdom way beyond his years. And then Ben Kai and Ben are in between, not in, in wisdom or in energy, but because they have lot, lots of lots of that, but just in age. So you've really got three generations right here in your pastoral team. Now, besides fellowship with other Christians, we need to have many connections in the world of unbelievers as well. And that's something that often gets forgotten about. Because as we will see when we talk about discipleship, the end result of being a disciple is that you should become a fisher of men. Sure, there's a time as a new Christian when in order to keep from falling back into some of the same sins you turned from when you came, from Christ, came to Christ, you may need to pull back from some of those connections out in the world. But once you've overcome by the power of the Holy Spirit who we just sang about, whatever worldly activities were your vices before salvation, there comes a time when those people you associated with need to hear from you. And they need to hear what happened in your life that changed you so much. You see, when the Bible says in James 4, 4, that friendship with the world is enmity with God, it does not mean friendship with the people of the world. Because we are to love them and we are to seek to reach them for Christ. Rather, it's referring to the principles which drive the world, its philosophies, its way of doing things, its, its wisdom. In John 17, right before he's arrested and taken to the cross, Jesus prayed that his followers would be in the world, but not of the world. Because if we are not in the world, then how are we ever going to be able to reach them for Christ? You know, the game of football is not played in the huddle. The 
The huddle is a place for encouragement, for instruction, for planning, sometimes even for some rebuke if you ran the last play the wrong way. But the game of football is played out on the field. And so then, this is another type of fellowship that needs to exist in an authentic Christian community. We need to get out of the huddle and be friends with the people of the world so that God can use us to reach them. You see, the church is a very unique body amongst all the various bodies or organizations or organisms you could come up with in the face of the earth. In that, not only is the church the body of Christ, but unlike any other assembly of people, the church exists not just for the sake of those who are already part of it, but also for the sake of those who are not part of it yet. And we can never lose sight of that. We have some shiny examples here in our midst this morning of people who are living out that aspect of relationship with outsiders. Eric Wallen, I don't know if Eric's here, but Eric has used his workplace to make friends with unbelievers, to reach them with the gospel. Josh, who I did hear, see somewhere here this morning, that's how Josh came to know the Lord, was from Eric working at the same place he did. I think Gene Christensen is over here somewhere, and Annabelle Kim um, have gotten very involved in the local PTSA here. In fact, we're letting them use this building for some of their meetings so that we might have connections with the unbelieving world. We're so blessed to have Chris Cannon over here, who've been part of our fellowship since we started. Not only because he is a really nice guy, you should get to know him if, if you don't, but for decades around here, rumor has it that if you're an unbeliever and you happen to be out sharing some waves with Chris at a local surf break, it's likely he's going to talk with you about Jesus. If not then, maybe over coffee afterwards. So to sum up what we've seen so far, authentic Christian community starts with fellowship with Jesus, then moves on to fellowship with others who are also in fellowship with him, and that includes people of all cultures and ages, and then it moves out to fellowship with people in the world who are not yet part of that community. Now let's look at some things before we leave this topic that can hinder that from happening in our midst and some things that can help us in having that happen in our midst and developing this authentic Christian community. Well, the first one should be rather obvious to us. If we're going to open up to each other and be known by each other, we need to feel safe in doing that, don't we? So there can't be a spirit of judgmentalism in the church where everyone is going around saying how others should live their lives or looking down on them for how they're doing it. That kind of atmosphere also is a great breeding ground for things like gossip and slander, which are two sins that the Bible puts right up there with murder and sexual sin. Now, I'm not talking about church discipline for open, obvious moral failures, which is commanded in the Bible and is also part of having a healthy, authentic Christian community. But unless someone asks for help in a certain area, it's usually not our place to poke our nose into their lives and go tell them how to live their lives. That is God's job. And the Bible makes that quite clear. We preach the word, God takes care of the rest. God is the judge, not us. And we need to respect that and let him play his role and try not to take his place. Jesus told us in John 16 that one of the roles of the Holy Spirit, who we sang about, would be to convict. So he is the convictor, not us. A lot of damage can be done in Christian relationships when those boundaries aren't respected and we try to play judge and convictor 
in the lives of others. You know, one time when our kids were little, our family went to a store here off the 110 freeway that sold get this, blemished kayaks. Okay, why were we there? Well, uh, we were trying to buy a kayak. We were trying to save some money in buying a kayak. And this store sold what in many product lines are referred to as a second, things that didn't quite come out the way they were supposed to. And so we ended up buying one of these um, second or blemished kayaks because they were all, all seaworthy and they could get you around in the water just fine. But they all had something on them that maybe wasn't molded right or hadn't been colored right as they came out of the factory. So the manufacturer had stamped all of them with this branded stamp right in the front of the hull they went, they went right, right in the front that you could see it that said BLEM, B-L-E-M, which was short for blemished. And you see, we're kind of like those kayaks. We're all horribly flawed, blemished human beings. Now, thankfully, we don't have the BLEM stamped on our forehead here. But, but that is why we need a savior. But you see, the job of a blemished but saved Christian isn't to go around pointing out and shining a spotlight on the BLEM marks on every other Christian in the community, or on their shortcomings, or on their weak spots. We need, we need to instead come alongside each other and help fill in in those other areas of their lives and let them do the same in our lives. You see, the church is to be a redemptive community and a reconciling community, not a judging or a condemning community. In fact, redemption is that theme that knits all 66 books of the Bible together. That's one of the way ways we know that all those books belong together and are canonized scripture because there's this one consistent theme over 1,500 years with 40 different authors of redemption. And 2 Corinthians 5 also tells us that we then are to be ministers of reconciliation. So what will help develop an authentic Christian community like that? Well, it starts the moment someone walks in the front door, as most of you experienced this morning. And here at CCPV, they're greeted with a warm, friendly, hearty greeting by our hospitality team that Robin Heffernan and Kim Esparza head up and so many of the rest of you have volunteered to serve in. So that people, as they come in, can sense that they are welcome here, blemishes and all. You see, Jesus actually hung around with the blemished crowd, so much so that he was called the friend of sinners. So if we are the local expression of his body here in Palos Verdes, that is how we should seek to be known as well. But the sense that we are a redemptive community should not just end after you come in the front door. As we build relationships with others, we need to put into practice with each other what true, authentic Christian love is all about, which is so beautifully described for us in the famous love passage in 1 Corinthians 13, four to the first part of verse eight, which says this, love is patient and kind, love does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never ends. You see, that perfectly describes the agape love with which God loves us. But guess what? God didn't write those verses to himself. He wrote them to us. And that is because he wants us to show that same kind of love towards each other. In fact, that is part of how 
we make him known to others. Some of what is described there in those verses is very self-evident, and so in the interest of time, I'm not going to go through most of them, but I do want to highlight just a couple of them. First, notice that it says there that love does not insist on its own way. You see, our unity as believers, Ephesians 4, the early part tells us, is a spirit-given thing. We all have the same Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, and that gives us a strong union with each other, so strong, in fact, that we're going to be spending eternity with each other. Think about that. Look to your left, look to your right. You're going to see each other. (laughs) We'll all see each other forever in eternity. So we better learn how to get along now, right? Because if you don't learn how to do it here, how are you going to do it? up there. But anyways, that's a whole nother, whole nother sermon. Um, well, one of the ways that we can do that is to humbly set aside, back to this verse, humbly set aside our personal preferences on things that are not matters of moral principle or essential matters of doctrinal truth. Things like what kind of clothes someone wears or what kind of hairstyle they have, what they eat, what they drink, what kind of car they drive, or maybe whether they don't even have a car at all, where they live, what they do for a living, what their hobbies are, what their holidays are, what they do in their vacations, where they went to school, or even how they are schooling their kids. You see, Colossians 2 tells us that no one in the church should be judged for those kinds of things. So we need to stop insisting that everyone else do things our way, and thinking that there's something lesser about them if they don't. Another thing in that verse you should notice is that love is not resentful. You see, resentment is another way of saying not forgiving. And resentment will lead to something that Hebrews 12, 14 says we should never allow in our church, and that is a root of bitterness that's horribly destructive to authentic Christian community. So if something is making you bitter, and you can't let go of it. The Bible actually has very clear, very simple instructions to you as to what to do. Ephesians 4.15 says, go speak to your brother, not to others. Go speak to your brother or sister about it, and do so in truth and love, so that you both might grow from it and be reconciled. And yes, sometimes it takes pastoral help and encouragement to be able to do that, but that's part of what we are here for as your pastoral team. We do a lot of that around here. So come talk with us if that's something you're struggling with. Our wives often jump in and help us as well, and we will, we will always make ourselves available. Now, the last thing to focus on out of this passage is that love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things, and that love never ends. The Greek word translated as bear there is a fascinating word because it, it was the same word used to describe a strong roof or covering over a home And it meant that it could bear a heavy load and that it could be protecting that family beneath it from the winds and the rain and the storms of life. So this tells us that love for each other in an authentic Christian community means that we will put up with a lot from each other. And that unless it's truly a matter worthy of church discipline, we will keep a covering over the faults, over the blemishes, over the shortcomings of each other and won't go around exposing them to everyone else. Now that entire last sentence of the passage tells us something else, that true love for another person means that we see them as they can be, because we believe all things, we hope all things. It means that we don't see people just as a snapshot, like something we just got off of Instagram, frozen in time in a certain condition, but rather 
We see them as Jesus sees them, which is more like a video where there's opportunity for growth and change, and so that we see them as someone who's being perfected over time by Christ, just as we are. Now, along the way, at different points in that video of each of our lives, there will be times when people in authentic Christian community end up offending each other. Ever done that? Ever had it happen to you? Of course. It goes on all the time. That doesn't change just because we're inside this community. It can't be avoided. You know why? Because we're all blemished. We've all got that, that blem. And so here's another important component of healthy Christian community. It is forgiveness. You see, as Pastor Byron of RHCC once said, in our redeemed but not yet glorified state, we are each kind of like a porcupine. And if you think about a porcupine, if you took the spines off them, they'd be these cuddly little guinea pig kind of looking like things, right? And so our natural inclination, inclination as, as redeemed but not yet glorified porcupines is to want to cuddle with each other. We want to get, we want to get close. But, but what happens when you do that? Those little spines start jabbing into the guy next to you, and there starts jabbing into you. And, and it would be a mess if we didn't have forgiveness. And so that's where forgiveness comes in. It is the salve, it is the ointment that can heal those wounds. And without it, authentic Christian community simply cannot exist. No wonder the Bible tells us this in Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Think about that for a minute. How did God in Christ forgive you? Was it because you deserved it? Or I deserved it? Of course not. And so we need to forgive others, even when they don't deserve it. Did Jesus make us earn our forgiveness? No, he gave it to us unconditionally, and that is how we need to give it to each other. Did Jesus even wait for us to acknowledge our offenses against him before he forgave us? No, he clearly did, and he hung there on that cross, and with his dying breath said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. When we understand the nature and the depth of the forgiveness that we have received in Christ, then as Charles Spurgeon said many years ago, our hearts should be as ready to forgive as they are to beat. So authentic Christian community will be welcoming, it'll be non-judgmental, it'll be redemptive, it'll be reconciling, and it will be forgiving. Now, I want to close out this part of the message and move on to a brief discussion then of the role that, discussion, that discipleship plays in all that. But before I do, let me just please share something that existed in a famous church about 150 years ago that should be an inspiration and a goal for us here today. The home church of Charles Spurgeon, the man I just mentioned, uh, was in England, and it was huge. It sat 5,000 people on multiple layers. There was a big catwalk in the middle that he would walk out on and speak. No microphones back then. He had a bellowing, bellowing voice. And it was packed overflowing with usually thousands outside. And God used that church to reach tens upon tens of thousands of people in London for, for Christ and literally, literally around the world. The sermons were, were uh, cabled of many other cities in the world. He used that church to start over 40 schools and orphanages and hospitals and retirement homes. One of those schools was a pastor's college or a seminary, which still exists to this day, with an endowment that's still there to pay for the tuition of any pastor that wanted to go and could get into the school but, but couldn't afford the tuition. And Daniel has been using a book made up of Spurgeon's lectures to the early students in that class, in that school, in his Tuesday morning discipleship meetings with 
some of the guys from our young adults ministry. Now, all of those features I just mentioned of that church would be great things to lay before us this morning as a vision. But here's the one I want to highlight. Instead of altar calls, and we love doing those, there's nothing wrong with them, but instead of altar calls, it was kind of hard in a church like that with three or four layers and the big catwalk going out there. So instead of altar calls and calling people up front for prayer after service, here's what they did. They had a team of over 200 deacons and deaconesses interspersed throughout the congregation who were very sensitive, very caring people, who made it a point to really be in tune with the people sitting around them. And so what they would do as the service was nearing an end, they would look for the signs on someone's face, maybe signs of need, signs of hurt, maybe signs of conviction. And they would just come right up to those people and encourage them and pray with them right then and there. Can you imagine what this church would be like if we were all that loving and caring and sensitive toward everyone else sitting around us? That would really be taking our awesome hospitality ministry, our prayer team ministry, to a whole new level, wouldn't it? And that would make us known then as a friend of sinners. So I don't know exactly what that, what that would look like here, but it's my dream. It's something I think we could all pray and dream about for the future. So you may be sitting there thinking, what about discipleship? Why is this there? Is it just tagged onto the end? What does this have to do with authentic Christian community? Well, first of all, being a disciple is what Jesus called us to be in the Great Commission, right? He didn't tell us to go make converts of the entire world. He told us to go make disciples. But secondly, all those things we've just looked at about having an authentic Christian community, those don't come naturally for us. And they certainly don't come by osmosis. We all need to grow in our understanding of who God is and of his love for us so that we can then show more of that love to each other and not be judgmental or gossipy, but rather be welcoming and forgiving and reconciling and redemptive. Now, in our Mark passage on discipleship, Mark 1.17, when Jesus called his first disciples, the invitation he gave them was, follow me. So quite simply, that means the most basic definition of a disciple is to be a Christ follower. It doesn't take rocket science to figure that out. But note there that the call is to follow the person of Jesus. He said, follow me. He didn't say follow a bunch of rules and theology and doctrines and practices. Those are part of it. We'll get to those in a minute because they do help us in following him. But the fundamental goal of discipleship is to get people to follow Jesus, both on this earth and then all the way to heaven, not to get an A on a theology test. You see, to follow someone quite literally means to go where they go, to think like they think, to speak like they speak, to love like they love, to like what they like and to not like what they don't like, and to act and react as they act and react. So at the end of the day, a Christ follower is someone who is learning to pattern their life after the life of Jesus. And as we all grow in patterning our lives after Jesus, we will also all grow in our ability to live in an authentic Christian community. So how do we grow then in patterning our lives after Jesus? Well, here is where the rules and the theology and the doctrines and the practices come into play. Because we can't possibly know how Jesus lived his life or what he, it is he expects from us unless we're in his book, for it reveals him to us. He is the living word, but we get to know the living word through 
the written word. And we can't possibly know what areas of our life that he wants to change without seeing his standards, and we can't possibly see his standards without being in his word. So the word of God is foundational to any true discipleship. And without it, any attempt at Christian growth would be like trying to steer a rudderless ship. Just going to go in circles and go nowhere. And Jesus clearly declares the centrality of the word of God to our growth and our sanctification. In that same prayer, the night he's arrested in John 17, 17, he says this, sanctify them. He's talking about disciples. Sanctify them in your truth. Thy word is truth. So the word of God, as you hear over and over again here, is central to all that we do at CCPV, whether it's in our Sunday sermons, whether it's our men's group, our women's group, our truth seekers class, our children's ministries, our youth ministries, our young adult ministries, as well as our worship ministries. And part of our vision is that not only would everyone here be a disciple, but they would also be a discipler. And so it's encouraging to see how Ryan and Sam Reeves that we had up here have been raised up to help disciple our students and how Nicole Kim and Jen Cox uh, do the same for our women. And even this week, uh, Andrew So and Brian Hall stepped up to help lead in the men's group. And that Shauna, who was out here earlier, I think, and so many of you were involved in children's ministry because don't forget, discipleship is for kids too. So much so that we're all supposed to come to Jesus like little children. Now, we were never meant to change ourselves, as Nick also said this morning. It's amazing. Nick lives in my house, but we didn't talk about this message or the music together at all. And look at how (laughs) so much of it ties together. It's the Holy Spirit at work. But as, as Nick said, we were never meant to change ourselves by our own strength because we don't have what it takes. I love how Francis Chan puts it. He says this, he said, we're, we're all just broken pieces of clay trying to explain to other broken pieces of clay what the potter who made us is actually like. <laughs> That's pretty profound. Puts us in our place, doesn't it? And this is where the Holy Spirit comes in because he can convict us, he can change us, and it's him, not our flesh, that produces any Christ-like fruit in us. Galatians 5, and 23 speaks of the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of me or you as Christians. And Jesus taught his first disciples in John 14 through 16 about how the Holy Spirit would be their guide into the truth. And then in Acts 1.8, he told them that they would receive power from on high to be his witnesses throughout the world when the Holy Spirit came upon them. Prayer is also an essential ingredient of our discipleship. In fact, we see in the Lord's Prayer that it's one of our primary weapons against temptation. Pray that we not be led into temptation. We also need to pray, as um, Nick also mentioned, for constant fillings of the Holy Spirit and that the baptism of the Holy Spirit would fall upon this place for greater works of ministry than we can even imagine. In Isaiah 56, 7, God said that his house is to be a house of prayer for all peoples. And while that referred to the temple in the Old Testament, we are now his temple in the New Testament. So we should be a praying people. And it's so wonderful after service to already see so many of you gathering together to pray for each other. And just a couple weeks ago, we started our our once a month in-service prayer team called the Engine Room that prays while the pastor is up here speaking. And so many of you have already joined that. Maybe in this next season, God will lead us to have some all-church prayer nights, or maybe some of you will be led to start prayer groups in your homes. Now, fellowship, which we've already discussed, is also essential for discipleship. It's a two-way street, because not only were we not meant 
to do this thing called discipleship in our own strength, we are never meant to go home and try to do it alone. We need each other to encourage each other in the process. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, great verse on this. It says, And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so, part of fellowshipping together is what we've done here this morning, and we do every Sunday, is corporate worship. So that's extremely helpful to our discipleship. As, as Pastor Ben Kim shared last week, worship tends to put God in his proper place, which is exalted, and it tends to put us in our proper place, which is humbled and submitted. And speaking of submission, that is the last truly essential ingredient of our discipleship, because we can have all the great Bible teaching you want. We can have all kinds of manifestations of the Holy Spirit. We can have lots of prayer meetings and worship times and fellowship. But if our wills are not submitted to what God is calling us to do, then nothing, absolutely nothing, is going to happen. Remember how Jesus called his first disciples. He said, follow me. Well, that implies, implies a relationship where he does the leading and we do the following. Because he doesn't say there also, note this, he doesn't say, I will push you, I will force you, I will coerce you. No, he says follow, because he's looking for our wills to submit. He could, because he's God, um, force us to do things, but that's not generally how he works. He's looking for our wills to kick in before he's going to act. Remember in John 5, when Jesus heals that man by the pool of Bethsaida, do you remember what he asked the man before he healed him? I think it's in John 5, 8. He said, do you wish to be well? You see, what was Jesus looking for there? He was looking for the heart of that man to want to be healed before he would heal him. And so it is with us and our discipleship. Nowhere in the book of Acts do you see Luke record or the apostles say that the Holy Spirit pushed us to go into this area or to go into that area. No, you always see them stay. We were, see that we were led to go here and led to go there. So you see it is as we give in to those promptings from the Lord. Maybe we get them in his word or in prayer or from others or maybe while we're worshiping. So as we give in to those that he will then release his power in us to carry out whatever he is prompting us to do. So there you have it. Discipleship is the process of learning how to follow Jesus. And it happens through what I would call a dynamic interplay of those essential ingredients we've looked at. The Word, the Holy Spirit, prayer, fellowship, and then our own submitted wills. Now please note, while those five things are all essential ingredients for discipleship, the process by which Jesus works them all together, that's why I said it's a dynamic interplay, the process is not a cookie-cutter, one-size-fits-all formula. We can't put God or how his spirit works in a box. In fact, while Jesus very clearly used all of those things in training up his first disciples, he actually tended to do it a lot more organically than we do. When, when do you read in scripture that Jesus said, okay guys, let's sit down and study Isaiah 53? Right, we, we don't, he, doesn't, he didn't do it the way we do it. Sure, there's a few times when he gave a Bible study class, like on the Sermon on the Mount or, the, or maybe the Olivet Discourse, but most of the time the discipleship happened as they all lived their lives together. They might be out fishing, or they might be at a wedding feast, or maybe they were at dinner in someone's home, or maybe they were out healing the sick, and Jesus would just teach them and explain God to them along the way. So who knows? 
what that might look like for us here at CCPV. But wouldn't it be cool if as we all started to hang out together more that the Jesus in each of us would just start rubbing off on each other, kind of like he did with his first disciples. And finally, let's not forget the intended result Jesus has of our discipleship, and it is that we would become fishers of men. Once he has caught us and taught us, he intends for us to go back out and catch and teach others. The purpose of being a disciple, you see, is not just for our own benefit. It is so that Jesus can expand his kingdom and bring others into it who aren't part of it yet. And Daniel's going to teach on that more next week. But here's a vision for what the process of discipleship should do for us in terms of evangelism. It should get us so in love with Jesus that everywhere we go, we can't but help but share with him or share him with everybody that comes into our our path everywhere we go, where he is just flowing out of us like rivers of living water. You see, as members of an authentic Christian community, we should be different from the world around us. People should notice there's something different that makes us tick, that we march to a different drummer and that there's a hope and a love and a peace in us that they don't have and that they want. And at the end of the day, discipleship, you see, is about radical transformation. It's about learning and knowing who we are in Christ and then living more and more like that, helping each other along the way and bringing others in. It doesn't matter what type of, of personality type that the world by its methods says that any of us here today has. A disciple of Jesus Christ is being transformed into a divine personality type. And there is so much hope in that as we become more and more like him. Because as time goes on, you find that the more you follow Jesus, the less your old ways that you were following have, the, have a hold on you. And you can have the hope that whatever you're still struggling with today, that if you let Jesus do it, he will deal with that as well. You know, the heritage of the church movement that we're part of, Calvary Chapel, is not just that the gospel was proclaimed, but also that lives were radically transformed. Drug-using hippies became Bible-teaching evangelists. Hardened gang members became gentle as doves. People caught up in the free love of the sexual revolution of the 60s and 70s became committed husbands and wives and then parents. People who were homeless started building homeless shelters and churches and schools. And we, brothers and sisters, are part of that heritage. And it's so exciting to dream about where Jesus may lead us. But wherever it is, we need to be ready to go. And that's the point of discipleship, to be as close behind Jesus as we can possibly get so that when he moves, we're ready to go. So Jesus is looking for an authentic community of committed followers here who are living in lockstep with him by the power of his spirit and who are excited and ready to go wherever he goes. Let's be that kind of church together. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you, Lord, that you reached out to us, that you called us to be your disciples, Lord. Thank you for that you picked the 12 and they went on to pick more and more and more all through the centuries of history, Lord, until it came down to the time you called us and then we were blessed to be discipled by others. So I pray, Lord, that um, just there'd be a heartbeat for discipleship around this church, Lord, that we might want to be that authentic, genuine Christian community, Lord, that we've looked at this morning where there, there's not judging going on, Lord, but we're letting you do that. But people are growing in who they know 
they are in Christ and how you want them to live. Lord, that we'd be known as a place of redemption and reconciliation. May all the blemished, Lord, be welcomed here. May they all be brought to your throne, Lord, and call you Lord and Savior, and that we might call them brother and sister. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.